This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to do something I I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to do Siskel and Ebert for those that are older than 40. Um, For those that are younger than 40, I have no idea who does this anymore. Who does movie reviews? Other than Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Okay. I have, um, every once in a while, I see a movie that has so impacted my life uh, that it it literally wrecks me. Um, 14 years ago, Sandra and I uh, were pregnant with Josiah. I wasn't pregnant. I was just the guy on the side there, but... The Passion of the Christ came out in February of 2004, and Sandra was due the end of February, and we so desperately wanted to go see it, but we were scared to go see it because we were afraid that the intensity of the movie may cause Sandra to go into labor in the theater. And I thought to myself, I don't know if that is a good thing to happen. That would be in a very eventful movie date night that we will never forget. Um, but we decided to hold off, and then after Josiah was born, my mom and my dad were awesome, and they came over, and they snuggled up with Josiah for the night, and we're, we were able to sneak away, and I remember getting to the end of the movie, and it was, the movie theater was packed, and it got to the end of the movie, and the credits come up on the screen, and no one moved, and no one said a word, and everyone just sat there. And for 15 minutes, nobody moved. We just sat there. And it was almost like you don't want to be the first one to be disrespectful and get up. Like there was this holy hush that happened in that movie theater. And finally, about 15 minutes later, you know, into that, people started to get up and leave. And I remember it, it, it profoundly affected me. Two weeks ago, um, Sandra and I had the chance to go out on a double date night with Joel and Lisa, which was awesome. And uh, lots of laughter, but we ended up going to see I Can Only Imagine, which is still in theater. So if you have not had a chance to see it, go see it. It was powerful. But it hits home for me in some of my own story. And so I went, and I'm thinking to myself, I actually pre-warned them. And I just said, like, if I lose it, I'm sorry. Like, I, if I break down and have this emotional experience, I'm just sorry. And I made it through the whole movie just with a couple of tears. And I'm like, I'm doing so good. This is awesome. And then the very last scene, there's the response of the the fan base to the song, I Can Only Imagine. And they literally have this scene where they have the camera over top of Bart's shoulder looking down at these letters he's reading. And from the first letter, it's from Cameron. And the name Cameron, which is my name if you're new here today, jumped out of the page, slapped me a couple times, and I lost it. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I'm crying. I'm like, God, of all the things, I behaved. I got through the movie. Lord, this is awesome. And then you throw my name on, and the very last moment of the scene rolls to credits, and now I'm, you know, a guy in his mid-40s bawling his eyes out, need to be carried out by Joel Menard to my vehicle. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad, although I'm sure it could have been that bad. But I want to talk to you this morning for just a couple of minutes about a movie that Sandra and I saw six days ago that I'm so bothered by 
in so many different levels. Um, unfortunately, it's no longer in the theater, so this is a spoiler alert for those that have not seen it. I'm going to give away a little bit of it, but, um, but when you get the DVD in four months, you'll forget everything I said, so it's all good. Um, was the movie Paul, the Apostle of Christ. We saw it, um, and I have never been more emotionally touched, bothered, stimulated, inspired, angry, every emotion you can possibly think of watching this movie. And there's a variety of reasons why that is. And I want to share with you this morning the three prevailing thoughts that I've had since Monday night that I cannot stop thinking about. And I think it's so incredibly appropriate for today. Um, I want to encourage you, if you have not had a chance to see it, get it on DVD, get it off, if it comes off on Netflix, see it, do whatever you've got to do to see it. Um, I think every Christian needs to see this movie every year. It's, it was that good, and it's that meaningful. How many have had a chance to see it? Okay, just a handful. Okay, so that's good, so I'm literally doing spoiler alerts all morning. All right, that's good. But I want to share with you this morning three simple thoughts that have been a takeaway for me um, in the last week. Thought number one is very simple. Everyone must have a crisis of faith. Everyone must have it. Some of us have it at the very end of our life when we are living in regret and what didn't happen or what didn't work out. And we have this moment where we cry out to God because that's what we're supposed to do maybe. I don't know, maybe that's what some people think. For some people, it's because maybe you grew up in church from a young age, but then have kind of left church or left God, or it wasn't as important to you anymore, or it just was something that you did growing up. But in this movie, there are multiple examples where people had a crisis of faith. And I'm not talking about, oh, a little moment where someone sang a nice little pretty song, and we had a little tear in our eye because something in the song hit us. I'm talking gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching crisis moment in their life where they had only one choice, God or God. You know what's incredible about God is he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself. He's not going to get in your grill. He's not going to knock on your door every single day of your life and go, hey, we'd love to hang out with you sometime. Hey, want to have a relationship. Hey, can I tell you about what I did for you? He's not going to do it. And in our culture today, there are so many things that distract us from that moment or that crisis of faith. Think about this. Think about for a second, one week of your life, where, what you do, the hours that you put in or the minutes you put in in different areas of your life. So just think about work and sleep and food and, and, and homework or, or, or um, you know, maybe working out at the gym or going on Facebook or emailing or or watching a movie, or whatever it is that you do. Just think about all the hours that go on in our life. And I want you to understand this morning that everything about the world is a distraction. The entire goal of the enemy is to create as many distractions as possible. How many remember the Kraft Dinner commercial from five years ago with the Kraft Dinner distraction noodle up on the guy's forehead? And the guy was so mesmerized by the the noodle on his forehead that the guy grabbed his plate and ate all his Kraft Dinner. This is what the enemy wants to do in our culture today, is to create distraction after distraction after distraction. Do you know what, this morning, that you have to, anything that you choose to do that's right, you have to intentionally choose it. 
Because life takes over. And things that we know we should do, we don't do because why? Life takes over. I believe this morning that this thought has so permeated my life in the last six days that everyone, including myself, must have a crisis of faith. Paul did before he came to Christ. And you have to understand the story. Paul, who was Saul at the time, was murdering Christians for their faith. That's a guy that really needs to come to Christ. Yet he had his moment. God literally knocked him off his high horse. Literally. Interestingly enough, there's a, in the movie, there's a story of a number of Roman converts to Christianity. And the reality of their faith, or the crisis of their faith, was so huge because they knew that if they lived for Christ in Rome with Nero as the emperor, you can pretty much write their death certificate because they're not going to make it. There's a crisis of faith that has to come. I want to say this morning, I want you to wrestle with the idea of what happens at the end of your life. What happens when you breathe your last breath? What happens when you don't have that next moment, that next opportunity to undo what you did five minutes ago? What happens when this is it? You know what's so cool about God? You can have your crisis of faith right now. You don't have to wait to that moment. When I saw that movie, I was so moved that, can I be honest with you this morning, and this is going to sound maybe just silly, but this is the first thought that I had walking out of that theater six days ago. Am I even a Christian? You go, well, you're the pastor. I hope so. I mean, I hope so too. But that was the first thought that I had. Am I even a Christian? Like, whoa, God, what am I doing with my life? Could I do what the early Christians did? Could I give up my life the way they gave them their life for Christ? I, I don't know. And then you start thinking through, like, what would happen if I'm in that situation? We live in Canada. I'm grateful. I don't think we have to face that anytime soon. But you never know. You never know. And then this next question hit me. Is my life a reflection of what Christ died for? Is my life a reflection of what Christ died for? And can I be honest with you this morning? Some days, yes. Some days, no. Some moments, yes. And some moments, no. And I know we all have it. And this, this message this morning is not to say, oh, you know, you are not perfect, therefore you are, God doesn't love you. No, that's not it at all. What I want you today to do whether it's in this service, this afternoon, after lunch, or maybe at a coffee with somebody this week, is to ask yourself some very basic but very profound questions. Number one, if I died today, am I okay with God? Number two, am I living for Jesus the way I should? Number three, very basic. What can I change today? One thing that would make my life turn around. One thing. Not ten things, not fifteen things, one thing. There was a line from the movie that was repeated about four times, and, it's, and it's, this is the line that's got me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Huh. 
I don't know about you, but it, it, it wrecks my thinking. It wrecks my, my process of, of even thinking about my Christian life. In Eliot's uh, commentary, it literally says, to live as Christ means Christ is my life. It's my everything. There's nothing else that matters. He is the center. He is the cornerstone. He is the beginning and the end. He is everything. He's not the priority I make on Sunday morning or on a Tuesday night small group. He is my priority every single day. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. One of the things that I've kind of had as a takeaway from this, past, this movie is, God, can people see Christ or do they see me? How much of me do they see and how much of Christ do they see? And so that's why I grow a beard, because, you know, Jesus had one. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Any other, you know, come on. I'm just, next time it's going to be, I'm going to preach in a robe and in Birkenstocks. Come on now. But I want you to see that there's a reflection of Christ one way or the other. Either it's not seen or it is seen. And for me, I want to be seen. I want, I want Christ to be seen in me. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ live, lives in me. That's exactly what Sarah and Louisa were talking about today, that it's not about me anymore. It's about Christ. I want to live for Christ. I want my priorities in my life to be about Christ. To live, to have purpose, to have meaning, to live is Christ. To die. You say, are we talking physical death? No, not necessarily. Mostly not. How many have ever been in a situation where you know you need to uh, have a conversation with someone and ask for forgiveness, and then everything inside of you says, no way. That's the moment you got to die because to live is Christ, to die is gain. God says, can you go share my message, the gospel message, with that person over there? Oh, Lord, I don't know if I can. To live is Christ, to die, to surrender, to deny myself is gain. To them, 2,000 years ago, it was their life. To us today... It's not. It's, it's our inconvenience. It's our time. It's our pride. Sometimes that hits home, right? But when God asks us to obey, we have to think to live as Christ, to die as gain. When God asks us to pray for somebody, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I'm proud of Louise and Sarah this morning because I tell you, when God starts prompting your heart to say, I need to get baptized, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We've got the cover back on the tank this morning because we're going to try to, we're keeping it warm. And here's why. We brought lots of extra change of clothes. We've got Scott positioned at the very back of the room. Because I believe that some of you are in this room this morning that feel like you've got to be in there. And so, if that's you this morning, and the Spirit of God is just dealing with you this morning, as I'm sharing, I want you to go see Scotty, right at the back. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump in that tank at the end of my message. Okay? 
You say, I, I, well, I, I'm not prepared for that. That's okay. Peter got to the end of the very first day on the book of, on the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, and he said, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. People said, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And then his response was, repent and get baptized. Doesn't say, repent and then do what I did, which was wait a long time. I waited a long time. You know why? Because I was just as fearful as Louisa. So I want to encourage you. I'm proud of you. That was awesome. Because this was my story. That was me. I took, I took way too long to get baptized. Why? Because I was scared out of my mind. But to live is Christ. To die. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. To die is gain. When God asks you to, to lay your own dreams down. Uh-oh. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Everyone has to have a crisis of faith moment. I believe some of you are having it this morning, right now. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never been baptized, but you've given your life to Christ, and you are just feeling like this, oh. as soon as I said that, you're like, oh. and then you're like, Lord, I don't know if I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, but if you want to do the rapture now, I, I'm good, Lord. I can be pre-trib if that's what you want. For those that have never heard any of that, it's okay. Have you ever seen you know, Armageddon? Just think Armageddon. Okay, that's all you got to know. Just the end of the world. Okay, all right, there we go. Second thought is this. No one is beyond God's grace. Oh. Whoo. How many have ever messed up? Come on, show of hands. Okay. How many have ever messed up real bad? Okay. Really bad? Okay. All right, we're good. Paul, who this movie was about, who he literally, by the end of the movie, gave himself up, literally died at the end of the movie as a martyr for God. Paul was one of the worst people on the face of the planet. Because not only did he murder Christians, he actually condoned it. And one of the most primary examples of it was Stephen, who he was literally standing there as Stephen was stoned to death. And we're not talking about weed, okay? It's a different thing. But you know what's interesting in this movie is there's this storyline that's going on between Paul and Luke that are in jail. And the Roman prefect who was in charge of the oversight of the jail... And through this entire movie, her, his daughter, the Roman prefect's daughter, gets sick and gets sick and gets sick. And the Roman doctors can't figure it out. And they have no answer to it. They've got no ability to solve this issue in a health-related way. And somebody told the Roman prefect, uh, that guy that's in prison, Luke, he's a doctor. Maybe you should try him. And of course, the entire movie is like, no. No, no. So he's praying more to his gods. Prays more to his gods. Keeps praying to his gods. Says, no, 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 no. We're not bringing in a Christian doctor. I'm not having no Christian man touch my daughter. Near the end, he finally relents. Luke comes. Luke saves her life. Luke helped the very Roman prefect that gave the order 30 minutes before he came up to take care of his daughter to send the crowd of people that he was in jail with to the Roman circus, Nero's circus. And Luke went anyway. No one is beyond God's grace. So you don't understand what I've done. Well, trust me. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand my past. You don't understand what I've been through. 
No one is beyond God's grace. Romans 5, 20 to 21, it says God's law was given. His commandments were given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I came across an Instagram post this week that just literally struck a chord in me, and it said this, live for what today has to offer, not for what yesterday has taken away. Live for what today has to offer, not for what yesterday took away. Some of us have a history that loves to just speak very loudly into our present moment. But God wants us free from that this morning. Amen? John 1.14 describes Jesus, the Son of God, as full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Full of grace. This word grace literally means undeserved, unearned favor of God. Another version of it, the word charisma literally means to the divine power to do something that you cannot do on your own. How many know that we need the grace of God to do what we're doing? I want to read an, uh, just a little story. This is a real life story. It happened to Abraham Lincoln. It was in actually one of the books that were written about him. And I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction one day and was appalled at what he saw. He was drawn to a young woman on the auction block. The bidding began, and Lincoln bid until he purchased her, no matter the cost. After he paid the auctioneer, he walked over to the woman and said, you're free. She said, free? What is that supposed to mean? It means you're free, Lincoln said. Completely free, he answered. Does it mean I, I can do whatever I want to do? Yes, you're free to do whatever you want to do. Free to say what I want to say? I said, yes. Free to say whatever you want to say. Does freedom mean that I can go wherever I want to go? I went, yes. It means exactly that you can go wherever you want to go. With tears of joy and gratitude welling up in her eyes, she said, then I'm going to go with you. Jesus paid the price so that he could buy you back. And in so many ways, even though we don't see it that way, we were the slave at a slave auction. Hired to be used, to be abused. And Jesus came, and he bought for us, paid for us with his very life, his very blood, his heart on display on that cross that we celebrated last weekend. There is no one that is beyond God's grace. The third thought is this. We stand on the shoulders of the martyrs. This has got me. I'm telling you right now, this has got me. How many are grateful that we don't have to offer sacrifices like Fluffy the Lamb every Sunday that they did in the Old Testament? Okay, we're grateful. How many are grateful that we didn't have to go to Nero's circus when we believed in Christ? Okay, I'm, I'm grateful too. And circus was not a good thing, just so you know. It wasn't like, you know, the elephant doing tricks. It was feeding you to the animals in front of the Colosseum. Pretty crazy. 1 Peter 2.17, I want you to see this. This is the Apostle Peter. And he said, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. One version says, honor the king. Guess when this was written? 64 AD. If you do your history, you find out that this is the reign of Emperor Nero. 48 to 68 AD. Peter is saying, Honor 
the man whose only desire is to kill every one of us. Why? Because no one is beyond the grace of God. I want you to think about people right now in your life that you have a really hard time loving. Let's be honest. And I want you this morning to ask God to see those people, not through your eyes, but to see them through his eyes. Luke saw something in the Roman prefect that no one else wanted to see, so he saved his daughter. Paul saw something in that Roman prefect and he gave his life up for it. Wrote many, many letters for the New Testament in that jail cell. But we have to understand this morning, there's something significant about what God wants to do. We did not have to pay the price that they did. Maybe one day we will. But what they did pay the price for was our freedom. How many are grateful at Remembrance Day every year? Because we're grateful for those that came and served and fought for our freedom as Canadian citizens. Canada could have looked very different if we did not win World War II. But the martyrs in the New Testament gave up their freedom. And we stand on the shoulders of those martyrs. I don't want what they did to go in vain. They gave up their life for the message. And what God wants us to do is to give up our life for his message. That's it. What are we doing to spread God's word? Huh. I don't know about you, but I believe the time is, the time is now. The time is here. There's something significant about this moment. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.